1: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Erica Easley Hauser. In this interview series, we feature a newly published work and spend some time speaking with the author. Today, we're fortunate to have as a guest Dr. Stephen Hall, who's the author of an incredibly well-researched book entitled A Faithful Account of the Race, African American Historical Writing in 1930. 19- Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Erica Easley Hauser. In this interview series, we feature a newly published work and spend some time speaking with the author. Today, we're fortunate to have as a guest Dr. Stephen Hall, who's the author of an incredibly well-researched book entitled A Faithful Account of the Race, African-American Historical Writing in 19th Century America, published in 2009 by the University of North Carolina Press. As his title suggests, he writes about the trajectory of black intellectual thought by examining the writings and historical strategies used in African-American public culture in the 19th century. By examining a wide variety of sources, such as books, pamphlets, speeches, and sermons, he argues that there were many changes over time in the themes of Black historical writing in four distinctive moments of the 19th century and into the turn of the 20th century. He ends his work by examining the Black Academy to explain how African-American history became institutionalized particularly at historically black colleges and universities. His wide scope demonstrates his keen ability as a scholar to build upon existing scholarship. Listen in to learn more about his work. We have on the call today Dr. Stephen Hall, the author of A Faithful Account of the Race, African-American Historical Writing in Nineteenth-Century America. Dr. Hall, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Will you tell us a little bit about
0: uh, your background before we get into the book? Tell us a little bit about maybe some of your mentors, or
1: basically who kind of inspired you to write this this work?
2: Yes, well, I can say that uh, the interest in this work actually goes back to my uh, undergraduate years. Uh, I was trained uh, in the Black Academy at uh, Morgan State University, uh, and it's really there that uh, many of my ideas crystallized. I had the good fortune to know and work with Brennan Quarles, who uh, is one of the Dean of African American Historians and wrote a number of the pioneering works on uh, Frederick Douglass and on the African American experience in the Civil War and the Revolutionary War, and one of the first real books on Lincoln and the Negro. Uh, And then, of course, um, I also work with Washington, who is known as the uh, Dean of African American Women's History, uh, her work. Uh, with Sharon Hartley in 1978, uh, the African American Woman, Struggles and Images is really a classic. And she also did an important dissertation on black women's suffrage. Uh, that was recently published by Indiana University, Press. Even see the was their doctoral dissertation called African American Women and the Struggle for the Vote, which, uh, is probably one of the most, uh, widely cited, uh, Visitations on the topic, and really is the definitive piece. And so she was really sort inspirational. I think, because she was interested in African American history and the diaspora. When I uh, went on to MA study uh, at Wisconsin, uh, I worked with Brenda Gail Plummer, and Brenda Plummer was really influential in helping me to sort of think more critically about the diaspora. And she's obviously done uh, her pioneering work, *Rising Wind*, which really looks at the development of Black foreign policy constituencies. In the first half of the 20th century, um, really is the definitive work on sort of helping us to kind of think about the black uh, as a transnational subject and also about black internationalism. And so, um, taking courses with her and interacting with her uh, was really, I think, uh, very influential for me. And then at the doctoral level, working with uh, Stephanie Shaw, who's done work in African American intellectual, uh, African American women's intellectual history and institutions. Uh, and really sort of shaped my sort of thinking about how to write, how to think, how to analyze and look through various issues. So these ideas, I think, have been germinating, at least in my mind, for a very long time. Uh, and my interest, I think, in um, combining my interest in Black intellectualism, Black African historiography and historians, along with my interest in Black women's history and um, Black internationalism uh, sort of it comes together, I think,
0: uh, in this work, A Faithful Account of the Race. Okay, great. Really interesting um, background. And you've worked with some amazing, I mean, especially, you know, Benjamin Quarles and uh, Stephanie Shaw, especially. Um, I think that's really interesting. I was also interested, especially with your title, um, I wanted to know where did it come from, A Faithful Account of the Race? What, what, uh, you know, what did you want readers to kind of walk away when they see that title thinking about in terms of your your overall thesis of your work?
2: Yes, that's an interesting question. One of the things I wanted to think about, I wanted to think about two things. The work is, all of the titles, the chapter titles uh, and the title of the work are actually drawn from the the writings and the thought of African American writers, men and women in the 19th century. And so the title of the work, A Paper Account of Work, really speaks both to um, the source of the the paraphrase quote, which is actually William Wells Brown's uh, the Rising Sun, which was uh, a book published, a book of Black history that I discussed in the work um, in the mid-1860s. And uh, what Brown is trying to do, of course, is to talk about um, to situate African American history uh, in the aftermath of the Civil War and sort of um, bridge or, or straddle uh, the line between the enslaved uh, Black and the emancipated Black. Uh, and is really trying to suggest that, indeed, what he's going to do, of course, given the former situation of the race, is to really writing history that gives uh, the best account that he can of the race. Uh, and so um, I thought it was a fitting title because, again, when I look at the work of, of all of these writers in the 19th century, they are working, um, they're not working um, in a moment where there is no intellectual tradition among African-Americans, but they are working in a moment where there are great um, challenges for African-Americans, uh, slavery, uh black degradation, uh black dehumanization, and other sorts of things going on on an everyday basis. And so they are really working to define themselves uh, and define their humanity as more than slaves, as more than chattel, as more than marginalized citizens. And so, um The title of the work then speaks to this broader sort of text around uh their sort of uh, uh serious uh and engaged efforts to really write uh a critical analytical deeply deep interpretive uh uh work about the African American past that not only sort of talk about their contemporary condition but really sketch their history back to the first ages of humankind, so it really transcends uh, the particular moment. And really uh, seeks really to humanize them uh, in ways that were quite um, inconsistent with the reality of of black people in the nineteenth century.
0: Okay. Interesting. I also thought, uh, speaking of that question about, you know, some of the sources that you talked about, and I know, especially for the study of 19th century African American history, one of the challenges oftentimes for historians is finding sources. And I I really particularly, I mean, there are a lot of sources that you talked about. I know my favorite is the Robert Benjamin Lewis text that you talk about. Uh, But can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the sources that you were able to find and and include in your work that you may think that are not as studied by scholars or that perhaps, uh, you know, need to be further studied?
2: Yes. I think one of the challenges uh, with the writing about African American historical writing in the 19th century is that most scholars really don't think that the historical production during the period is historical. Uh, And so in many instances, uh, 19th century historical writing is written out of uh, historical coherence. It, it, in fact, is not viewed as being as scholarly or as important as the 20th century historical work that's produced by African Americans. And so, one of the challenges I had, of course, was to really uh, connect this 19th century writing to um, the 20th century and really situate it as a real uh, antecedent, a forerunner, as a precursor. And so, in terms of works that I thought were important or really groundbreaking, I think we probably could about a little more. I would start with uh, one of the first studies that I talk about in the book, uh, Jacob Olson's A Search for Truth or an Inquiry for the Origin of the African Nation, which was published in 1817 and then uh, was initially given as a speech in New Haven and then in New York. And the AME, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Bishop Christopher Rush Uh, then saw to its publication, and it's really a fascinating work because it pulls together uh, African American engagement with the intellectual projects of the 19th century, the engagement of uh, black writers with things like classicism, engagement with the Bible, their engagement with um, uh, the broader intellectual constructs of the day. Uh, And so this piece really uh, uses those uh, intellectual projects Uh, to make a broader case for African American humanity. And so this is, I think, the foundational work um, that many subsequent writers build upon. And I was fortunate uh, in my work to be really the first person to really um, utilize the work and really explicate it uh, and interpret it in such a way that it, of course, uh, sheds light on some of these broader issues and projects of African American writers in the period. Um, you mentioned of course uh Robert Benjamin Lewis's Light and Truth. Uh and of course, uh this is a wonderful history he published first in eighteen thirty six in a more abre- abbreviated version and then in a broader, more uh, expansive version in eighteen forty four. And Robert Benjamin Lewis uh was of mixed uh, Native American and African American heritage. And most people who have looked at his work really view it as um, uh, something that's really uh, because of the the methodology that he uses, the approach that he is engaged in. It's sort of this encyclopedic uh, discussion of uh, the place of persons of African descent in world history it's sort of viewed as, uh, most people sort of dismiss it as kind of one of the early precursors of the Afrocentric text of the 20th century. But what Lewis is really trying to do, and this is another important point of the piece, as I mentioned earlier, African-American writers are using the intellectual constructs of their day to make broader, and intellectual ideas, intellectual context of their period, to make broader points about who they are, and especially about their humanity. And so Lewis, like many writers of his time, is writing a universal history, but he's not writing a universal history of uh, of Europeans. He's writing a universal history of African people. And uh, he says as much in the title of the book. But invariably, many historians uh, prior uh, to my own work have sort of uh, uh, looked askance the at these sorts of things. Uh, and I think some things have sort of uh, thought about it. Uh, more thought about this work more in 20th century terms as opposed to 19th century terms. And so, um, failed to sort of collect contextualize the work. And so, they sort of view it as being, um, deeply problematic. But when we look at it as a universal history, a history that's essentially seeking to chart the history of a group from the first ages of humankind to the present, it's a fascinating encyclopedic sort of discussion of. accomplishments, the the history, the projects of people of African descent, Uh, and in in some senses it's really truly a transnational history in some ways, to the extent that people were engaged in those kinds of projects in the 19th century. I would also say um, David Walker's uh, appeal to the colored citizens of the world, which I think is a Mm -hmm. fascinating document. It really speaks to Walker, uh, Mike Lewis, um, like uh, OSIN, uh, I was really interested in sort of thinking about how to deploy uh, 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 ideas of uh, reason and rationality embedded in the American Enlightenment and the European Enlightenment. How to sort of think about this, the, the project of African Americans in the classical world and sort of look at the treatment of people of color and the institution of slavery. Uh, as it existed in ancient world prior to its racialization uh, in the American context. He's very interested in sort of challenging uh, using um, uh, Enlightenment ideas regarding reason and nationality and challenging, using those ideas to really challenge the practice of slavery and the debasement and and dehumanization of of, of Black people. And he's also engaged, which is another sub-theme in the book, sort of thinking about this whole notion of the African diaspora, and is very interested in the in, uh, projects of of of, uh, of Black people, um, who he sort of calls citizens of the United States. And so he says in the title there, you know, an appeal to the citizens of the world, but expressly to those in the United States. But nonetheless, he has a very broad transnational vision of uh, persons of color, and really sees the history of Black people as transcending... National and domestic moment, and sort of really uh, encompassing a broader uh, project, not only in terms of the transnational moment um, in the in the 19th century, but in fact going back to the first ages of human time. A lot of those interesting uh, examples really are drawn from the classical world, and so he's really uh, interested in really looking carefully uh, at these histories to really raise some interesting questions about. Um, the problems the problematic of American democracy and the limitations and the way in which uh, many of these products do dehumanize people. Um and then I would say um uh, Gertrude Moselle's the work of Afro American Women in eighteen ninety four. What, what a wonderful piece and uh, it's uh, it's a piece very much like Anna Julia Cooper's uh voice South, wow, which really seeks to talk about um the importance of African American women. Um, I have a, a, an interesting phrase uh, from a club woman, uh, a Mrs. Frazier, who says uh, uh, in reference to one of the one of the more important um, race encyclopedias of the period, which was called Men of Mark, it was by a man named William D. Simmons, and she says, well, uh, Mrs. Frazier says, well, we have had heard enough of the men of Mark. We need to now talk about the women, i lot, And so, uh, so that inaugurate, uh, I think that, of course, I've been, obviously, my book tries to show that African American women going back Stewart, uh, are, and people like Anne Plato and others are writing and thinking about the, um, the African American initiative. they are working closely with, um, uh, other African Americans to, uh, bring, uh, a broad, uh, a discussion that, of course, uh, includes the plight of African American women and to sort of think more critically about the contributions that uh, black women have made to historical knowledge. And so, um you have a number, i talk about a number of women, Professor Stone Harper, uh, Lyle Amos Felton, Julia uh, Cooper, um and others who are really deeply engaged in thinking about, uh, the historical role that women have played in the broader uh, discourse surrounding the creation of African history. And so this work really, I think, mean, sort of try to bring together all of those sensibilities and really uh suggest then that um without understanding uh nineteenth century uh, historical document all those themes of uh of black intellectual engagement with the domestic and international projects, the broader sorts of engagements with classicism and the Bible, the broader uh projects of African American women and gender, that we really cannot understand how this project has evolved in the 20th century. And so mm-hmm. we're ultimately been truncated and blunted in our visions if we don't have a good sense of this 19th century project because it really does lay the groundwork for mm. um, subsequent historical work.
1: Hmm.
0: That's really interesting. It actually makes me, too, think, you know, in terms of thinking about your work and sort of placing it in a broader perspective of, of thinking of other historical texts and um, even other works outside of history that I think um, kind of have a similar you know, methodological approach of covering just such a, a long period of time. I mean, in your work, you start with, you know, the early American Republic, and you go uh, all the way until the Reconstruction era. Um, and then you end uh, with the conclusion chapter talking about the Black Academy. So I just wanted to maybe see if you could tease out maybe how your work kind of fits into these sort of other projects that I think also kind of cover this long 19th century moment, um, you know, and really trying to complicate it further than perhaps it has been done, you know, in the past.
2: Yes. Well, what the project seems to do, I mean, in terms of the chronological focus, I was very very clear to me as I was looking at the work is that African Americans in the 19th century are very much uh, contextually bound. They are uh, contextually bound uh and of course um and driven. Uh and they're also then conversant with uh the intellectual movements and the ideas of the nineteenth century. And so much of their work much of their project of course is devoted to um amplifying the notion of black humanity. And so I thought then that uh their their uh this uh by following the trajectory the traditional trajectory of uh American history we could get a very good sense of how They were responding to different uh, events and moments and also intellectual movements and how we were deploying these moments and taking advantage of these moments to amplify this notion of black humanity. Um, It's very clear also that we cannot um, uh, understand this tradition without looking at it in a holistic way, and so we've got to really sketch it out over a long period of time in order to see how the, uh, how these writers were sort of thinking about themselves at, in an enslaved moment and in an emancipatory moment. Uh, and what are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences in terms of these broader sorts of projects. And what we see in their work is that we move, as we move through the 19th century, from the uh, early late 18th century to the early 19th century, in terms of the authority of the American Enlightenment and the European Enlightenment, the authority of classicism, the notion of classical republicanism, we move then to shifting ideas about... Uh, blackness and also, uh, ideas about intellectual life. The shift from the authority of classicism, if you will, to, uh, a more intense shift, at least among historical writers, in the 1830s and 1940s to this you non-text know, of romanticism, which is a different attempt to kind of look more at the near past in order to sort of make assessments about the nature of the public, and this is also a moment where we're seeing the rise of American nationalism, we're seeing uh, all sorts of interesting things around Manifest Destiny and other sorts of uh, getting, you know, Native American removal and a host of other sorts of topics going on simultaneously, uh, black slave evolved, um in, you know, the shift from the uh the the, the slave project's being shifted from the eastern seaboard into the interior um the intensification of domestic slave trade the intensification of the abolitionist uh, movement uh and so african Americans are involved in all these projects and they're deeply engaged in sort of thinking about these projects and using history to think about these these uh projects um as Americans are sort of um um uh, moving towards the Civil War in the 1850s, the African-American writers deploy history, people like William Nell, in the Colored Patriots of American Revolution. They talk about, they try to remind the nation of the centrality of the black to the revolutionary principles and as they're fighting against the slave power, this conglomeration of the individuals who are seeking to slavery slavery um, from C to signing C, that indeed um, they are sort of interested in sort of recalling heroic sacrifices of blacks and of course fighting to um bring it into the institution, fighting uh what they call an anti slavery war. And so uh we see this again uh in the post-Reconstruction, reconstruction, post-reconstruction period, with people like William uh Spill, who does the Underground Railroad, uh who's the head of the Philadelphia Provisions Committee from eighteen fifty one to eighteen sixty one. And in the aftermath of the Civil War, he uh, then reconstructs this history to keep the memory of abolitionism alive and the role that blacks and whites play in undermining the institution of slavery at a moment when black rights are being undermined again in the reconstruction period. And it's after that. And so, uh, um, they're sort of keeping the, the the light of freedom, uh, alive, uh, and using history to do this. So it's a, it's a very real. And so as we moved into the academy, what we see then is a natural progression. Uh, we see then uh, the interest in education and establishment of these local black colleges universities, and universities by the time we get to uh, the post civil war period. Uh, we see uh, and the rise of a uh, more sustained black uh, middle class um, as a result of these institutions. And so we see then that history, of course, is changing again. Uh, and mm-hmm. professionalization and scientism and objectivity are taking uh, a hold. And so it's helpful, I think, to look at the Black Academy and its role in the construction of history. Because invariably we think that, uh, you know, Black history courses really emerge as a result of the, uh, ferment and turmoil. <laughs> on campuses in the 1960s, mm-hmm. right? And so it we be a few mm-hmm. years of black uh, colleges are really in the forefront, long before the African-American studies uh, uh, moment uh, in constructing uh, the Black Path. And that, indeed, many of these individuals are using a lot of these earlier works from the early 19th century to construct this project. Uh, and this project is closely linked to... Um, accentuating black humanity, fighting against the uh, retrenchment of black rights in the post Reconstruction period, fighting the text of lynching, uh, nativism, of uh, reconciliation, and so on. It is uh community-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these kinds of projects become very important. People collecting uh, the history of the race in their homes, and so on. And all of that really does lay the groundwork, subsequently, for the kind of courses that you see at places like Tuskegee. At Howard and Hampton University and other black colleges and universities, and then, of course, all uh, subsequently amazed in the groundwork for the coming of the Association for the Study of uh, Negro Life and History, that's what it was called, in 1915, and mm-hmm. then uh, and really fueling a real move towards what would become the African American Studies Movement in the 1960s. And so, this mm-hmm. so, this big part that project really to give us. A roadmap, uh, a way really to think about the contributions of these early writers and, the, and their and the complexity and the, and the vast array of writings, uh, the types of writings, you know, race race books and encyclopedias and uh, other sorts of, of things that were being written back in America, It's really an outpouring of literature, and so one cannot argue that indeed there are scant sources and few materials available, indeed, what one finds is a plethora of materials mm-hmm. to study and to think about the Black past in the 19th century, and so um, it really gives a lot of the argument that uh, there isn't much uh, there, there's part uh, mm-hmm. of it, and so these 19th century people do
0: it, so forth more. Okay. Yeah, that actually makes me think, too, when you're especially thinking about teaching undergraduate students. I mean, and I think it helps me even think about, you know, using your work as a survey text to really help them understand, you know, that there is a world outside of the 20th century text, you know, that you're talking about in terms of, you know, the Carter G woodson moment or, you know, even this, you know, idea of Afrocentricity. And I just wondered, you know, how you would kind of even think about trying to translate, you know, your work to an undergraduate audience to really help them think about, you know, these complex of the 19th century. Right, yeah.
2: Well, I think one, yeah. of, one of the issues here, of course, obviously, as I said, is to really think about um, African American history as not, I think in the 20th century, you sort of see it as sort of connected to a moment of insurgency, a uh, moment of, um, it's an oppositional text, it's a nationalist text, in the text that... Uh, it emerges at a moment where it's either uh Carter G. Woodson or Du Bois uh, bring it to the fore in the early 20th century, or it's a project that you you sort of can look at the 1960s and it's an insurgent moment. It's arising as a result of the second half of the Civil Rights, the, the Black Power moment. And in that moment, it comes to the campuses. Uh, it feeds on, on white guilt. It feeds on the whole notion of setting the wrongs right. And uh, mm-hmm. it appears in this very insurgent form. And one of the things I would say is that indeed, one of the ways to sort of think more critically about it, of course, is to move away from a more presentist understanding, an anachronistic moment, Mm -hmm. where they are sort of reading, um, the present onto the past. And so, uh, in any moment then, uh, that we see, uh, an engagement with the ancient world, or with Africa, or with the Bible, then indeed we see it as an insurgent moment, a nationalist moment, uh, a Afrocentric moment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but indeed, when we look at the, uh, um, the 19th century, we see, and by sort of appreciating and thinking more critically about the contextually through the nature of black history in the 19th century being very much sensitive to, to the reality that African Americans were looking at, the whole text of African American, uh, the, the, the project of African American history being linked to the amplification of black humanity, and the idea that, indeed, African americans are using a wide variety of methodological approaches that aren't always insurgent, right? nationalist, contributionist, uh, that is, to, you know, amplifying black contributions or vindicating or trying to prove that African americans belong. But, indeed, uh, they are really drawing on, on the Bible. They're drawing on classicism. They're drawing on a wide variety of the extent um intellectual tools in the day to make a case for black humanity. And so they're not making a case necessarily against someone else, right? They're making a case Mm -hmm. for their own humanity and their own place. And to say um, quite clearly that they too have played men and women a very important role in uh, uh, helping to make humankind what it is today. And so that's Mm a very important sort of uh, project, I think, in terms of thinking about uh, the brackets And I think also yeah. that speaks to the complexity of the work as well, that indeed is a work that really is just drawing on a number of things. It really does have much to tell us in terms of um, looking at uh, African-Americans as complex subjects
1: mm-hmm. and
2: individuals it, yeah. working on a wide variety of traditions and possibilities. and. Those things can really coexist, so it isn't really this kind of binary where it's not, either nationalist or Afrocentric or you're not, <laughs> right? Or you're or you problematic. In, in mm-hmm. fact, it, there are a wide variety of intellectual conditions that African Americans are involved in, and it, it helps us, I think, to think more critically about the diversity in our own populations, the diversity of thought, diversity of affiliations, mm-hmm. diversity of. Thought of the engagement of how people are thinking about the world and the very places where people come from in terms of how they uh, think about the black experience what that is, mm-hmm. you know, and how to make sense yeah. of it. So I think in that sense it, it can help us uh, think more critically about these broader projects. Even you know, we we obviously are in a in uh you know post racial moment we're in a in a Obama moment and of course we we look at The complex origins of the president, and they say, well, you know, this is a new, this is a new block, right? -hmm. But but again, if we look at these 19th century writers, we find a lot of complexity in terms of their makeup. You know, we're talking about people like Robert Benjamin Moore and many others who have very complex makeups and all sorts of uh, uh, interracial uh, interactions. Uh, interracial, uh, intra-ethnic kinds of interactions, and so you can see an an engagement of people of color with a wide variety of transnational moments, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this is really not a new phenomenon, but I think that is quite relevant. so we can appreciate the 19th century really on its own terms. We can think more critically about our 20th and 21st century moment, and we can really see these things along a broader continuum. That is not to say, then, that uh, 19th century moment is the same as a 20th and 21st century moment. That would be an, mm-hmm. a non-academic moment. But the, we can see the origins, we can see some similarities, we can see at least these concerns being articulated among academic intellectuals at a very early moment, and so this is not a new uh, moment. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah. So I think that's a. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, that was, you know, I was thinking that in terms of, you know, thinking about this post-racial oh, kind of right. debate, of and and you know, just kind of yeah. placing your work to really explain that that notion even really kind of ignores, in my way, or in my view, the 19th century completely, you yeah, know, you by do. kind of yeah. on the present. So I think that's a really valid point, and uh, I think something that really could be a, a great conversation to have with students, yeah. you know, who might sort of misunderstand that that concept of post-racial and, and what sort of the pre-racial or yeah, I don't know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, that, you know, they could even use such a term. Right. Um, I also wanted to know, too, I guess, you know, where do you, where do you go from here? What are some of the things that you are researching or sort of, um, you know, kind of taking this project and uh, are you kind of moving in other directions with the project or working on other things?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, immediately I'm working on, uh, a edited book, uh, with another scholar at Michigan State University, uh, which, which is tentatively titled, uh, kind of, uh African American, uh, historians and historiography in the 20th and 21st centuries. And what we're hoping to do is assemble with a team of scholars to sort of, um, do some recovery work, as I do in this work, in terms of looking at some um, little known, unknown African American historians um in the in the twentieth century. And uh to really do some biographical treatments of those individuals and then also to look at the field of African American history in general, things like slavery, women's history, uh, civil rights projects, and really try to update uh, um the historiography on on the development of African American history as a uh, as, a, as a specialty area uh, in, in ways similar to uh, August Meyer and Edward uh, Black History in the His- History Profession and the Historical Profession, which came out in 1986, So we're hoping to update that book and really provide some useful insights to help uh, really serve as a guidebook for both undergraduate and graduate students to give them a current sense of what's going on in the field. And then, secondly, I'm working on a study which is really an extension of this uh, study called uh, Framing Global Visions. Uh, African American historians write about the world, and it uh go from the late, from the, uh, from 1885, the Berlin Conference, right up to 1960. And what it attempts to do is really uh, continue to talk about the role that African American historians play as activists, as thinkers, as uh, individuals involved both in the Academy and outside of the Academy in terms of accentuating uh, the idea of acting diaspora. And uh, how that concept develops, and how these historians are deeply engaged in forwarding that project um, prior to the civil rights movement. And so in that sense, mm-hmm. and it, it builds on some sort of the stuff that I uh, encountered in the first study and really extends it into the modern period. It helps us to kind of um, even think in more critical ways about um, the Woodson Project, the Boisean Project, uh, and to think about um really the nascent projects of black historians uh in the first half of the twentieth century. Uh and I think it positions us well to begin uh looking at um the pioneering role that um African Americans have played in forwarding notions of globalism, uh transnationalism and of the African
0: diaspora. Okay. Well, that sounds really interesting. I really I definitely look forward to reading that work. Oh, yeah, uh, works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Hall, I do want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about your work, and I certainly will be in touch with you. Okay. Thank
2: you. I
1: enjoyed it. Right. Okay. Take care. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Okay, You've been listening to New Books Network. We've been speaking with Stephen Hall, author of A Faithful Account of the Race, African-American Historical Writing in Nineteenth-Century America published in 2009 by the University of North Carolina Press. For more information about this podcast series, you can find us on the web at newbooksnetwork.com or follow us on Facebook to leave questions or suggestions about new books you'd like to hear more information about. I'm Erica Easley-Hauser, and thanks again for joining us.